This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. In three years as CEO of Spicemaker McCormick, Alan D. Wilson has been charged with steering the company through difficult economic times and periods of extreme volatility in commodities prices. Founded in 1889 and based near Baltimore, McCormick recently reported 2010 fourth quarter sales of $979.5 million, a 6% increase over the previous year. But the company also noted that hikes in the cost of products such as dehydrated garlic, black pepper, and cinnamon spurred a 3% uptick in the prices of spices McCormick sells to restaurants, supermarkets, and other retailers. It is likely that the price increase will result in higher prices for consumers buying from the grocery shelf. Wilson joined McCormick in 1993 and served in several managerial roles before becoming chairman and CEO in 2008. Prior to joining the company, he worked at Procter & Gamble for nine years. In a recent conversation with Knowledge at Wharton, Wilson discussed the economy's impact on the company, McCormick's efforts to expand internationally, why the increased popularity of Food Network and Celebrity Chefs has been a boon, and the company's aim to create a relationship with customers by playing up the romance of spice. Thank you so much for, for sitting down with us today. We'd just like to talk to you a little bit about McCormick and some of the, the things that you faced as CEO there. Great. Thanks for having me. Thanks. Um, the first question is, um, I've been reading a lot lately about the rising prices of commodities. So could you talk a little bit about how closely tied your business is to sort of the ups and downs in that market? Absolutely. Uh, practically everything we sell is subject to agricultural commodity changes. And even though we have a wide variety of different kinds of things that we're, that we're dealing with, everything from pepper to anise and basil and turmeric, and, and they're grown all over the world, um, competition for agricultural uh, space is creating that surge in, in commodities. So farmers make decisions as to whether they're going to grow coffee or pepper. And as coffee prices go up, pepper prices tend to follow that. And then uh, a a lot of our industrial business where we're selling products to other food manufacturers or to uh, quick service restaurants, our food service are subject to things like flour and uh, soybean oil, which which really are surging right now. Mm-hmm. And now one of the things I had read that McCormick is raising the prices of what it sells to grocery stores and to restaurants and that customers might expect a price increase. I mean, how? what are the challenges of getting gaining consumer buy-in for that, especially because people might have been used to paying the same price for years or maybe they bought, which they know they're not supposed to do, bought their last thing of basil three or four or five years ago sure. and they're seeing this big jump? Well, I, you know, part of it is because of the long purchase cycles of individual products. Consumers come to our section five or six times a year, but they're buying something different almost every time they come. So there's not a lot of consciousness in terms of what you paid last time, but there is a comparison between um, between our products and competitors' products or, or private label, in our case, is, is our largest competitor. So uh, we have to make sure that we are, are responsible in pricing. Our brand carries a premium, and uh, consumers are willing to pay a certain premium for the promise, the taste, the, the freshness, and the, and the flavor that we deliver. But we have to be very cautious in not letting those price gaps get, uh, get too large. Mm-hmm. And tell me a little bit now, I mean, on the face of it, your product is pretty basic. I mean, spices are spices, or at least people, a lot of consumers might say that. So how do you encourage innovation within that space? 
Well, the, the, the key thing about what we're doing is looking at food trends and making those food trends accessible to the home consumer. So our, our institutional business where we're selling to restaurants, we do a lot of creativity using chefs and, uh, and, and, and food technologists to create new trends. And then we're always out front. We have something called the Flavor Forecast, which we release a couple of times a year, looking forward a couple of years on what the new hot trends are going to be. So a few years ago, we identified chipotle pepper as a, as a food trend. Well, now you can get a, a, a chipotle dressing on a sandwich at Subway or, or McDonald's. Mm-hmm. And so it's kind of hit the mainstream. And so what we do is identify those trends and bring those to consumer products. So as chefs are using things like smoked paprika or roasted spices, we've introduced a, a line of roasted uh, gourmet spices and we've, when we have smoked paprika. So we kind of stay in front of that. The other thing we do is convenience. And so we've got a new line called Recipe Inspirations, which puts the spices that you need to make a specific recipe and sell those for under $2. So it's, it's very easy for the consumer to, one, learn some, a, new, a new recipe. And it's very convenient because everything is in one package. Right, and then the idea that you might you don't might, might want to borrow buy buy something like I don't know coriander or something like that that you right. might never use again, but if you buy it in the pack, it's just for the recipe. It's a one use. That's right. And now if you I, like the recipe, you can go buy the bottle. Right. And now tell me, I think I have to ask now in terms of the forecasting for what's coming up. I mean, what kind of trends do you think we can expect to see coming up? Well, what we're seeing is a real trend to fusion kinds of flavors, so uh, a mixture of sweet and hot. So things like mixing a cayenne pepper with a tart uh, cherry kind of flavor is, uh, is something that's, uh, that's really on trend. International foods are continuing to find its way into everyday cuisine. So what, what used to be more infrequent and exotic is now becoming a part of our regular repertoire. So we have a brand called Thai Kitchen. And that was identifying the fact that there are a tremendous amount of Thai restaurants, but most American consumers don't know how to, how to make Thai food from scratch. So we provide the authentic ingredients and easy ways of getting to the things that you experience in a restaurant. Mm-hmm. Now, I understand, actually, that brings me to my next question. I understand that McCormick is trying to expand its presence internationally. So could you talk to me a little bit about sort of what are the markets where you guys are hoping, what are the most important growth markets for you? And then also, I mean, how do taste in other markets differ from taste in U.S. customers, and how do you adjust to that? Sure. About, about 40% of our sales today are outside the United States. And we do see the opportunity and the, and the need to bring the kinds of things that we do to, the, to global consumers. Currently, our largest markets outside the U.S. are, are Western Europe. Uh, but we see a lot of growth in China and India. India is one that's very exciting to us. Uh, because its spices are such a big part of the culture, and the average Indian consumer consumes about four times the, the number, the, the poundage of spices in a year that the average American consumer does. So it's a huge opportunity, but right now it's not an organized uh, market. So a lot of the spices are bought in bulk on the street as you need them. And so we see as, as people move up the, uh, the economic chain, um, the, the need for... Uh, reliable brands and uh, consistent products that are that are safe for those kinds of consumers. So we see that as an opportunity. We have a, a really good business in parts of Latin America, but in big parts of Latin America, we don't have a, a presence other than uh, joint uh, ventures or licensees. So consumers, we don't have the presence that, that I think we can have. Mm-hmm. 
and Eastern Europe is, is, a, is also an open territory for us. Uh, we're continuing to, uh, to work on expanding our presence in Africa. So we're very excited. We think there's a lot of growth from geographic expansion as, as, we, uh, as we look around the world. And now how much, I guess, research and sort of preparation goes into sort of going into a market and figuring out, I guess, how to market your product in that market without using market too many times? I sure. mean, how much do you have to look into it to sort of figure out people's taste and how they're cooking and all of that sort of thing? And how does that translate into how you're pushing the product? Well, that's the most critical, critical thing that we have to figure out for our success is how people cook and then make it accessible for them. So in China, for instance, we're selling, certainly selling spices and herbs in grocery stores and in food service outlets. But consumers cook differently. So, so the, the spice market in China is much, much smaller than you would expect because they're cooking with things like uh, chicken powders and bouillons and, um, and those sorts of things. So our product line is a little different in China. We're selling certainly spices and herbs, but we're also selling some Western products like ketchup and salad dressings and jams, but we're selling uh, chicken powders and chicken bouillons that are that are the way people cook there. That's and, and so we have to keep adapting to 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 what people do in their local market. Mm-hmm. And now I also I was on your website. I had the chance to sort of surf around your website a little bit this week. I noticed. I mean, there's a lot of information on there. I mean, there's recipes. There's tips about keeping spices. There's even some stuff about the origins of different spices. I mean, how important is that? I mean, how important is to, is that to have all of that information on the site? And I mean, how does it play a role in your efforts to kind of drive sales to point of purchase? The the biggest thing we can do for uh, to to help grow our sales is to to help consumers find new recipes and add a recipe to their weekly repertoire. So if they're doing that, then they're going to continue to to buy our products because we're helping to make that easy. And so so the biggest uh, reason people come to our website is for recipes. And, and, And we keep refreshing those. We keep making them and make sure they deliver great flavor. You mentioned you're from Cincinnati. There's a Cincinnati uh, chili recipe oh, really? on the website, which frankly I use when I make the when I make Cincinnati chili. Uh, so there is a there's a, an awful lot of that. The the second piece of it is that emotional attachment with a brand, which every brand has to have with the consumer. So a lot of what we do around origins and and creating the whole romance of spice. Is, is how we tell our story. Because we think we, we've been doing this for over 120 years, and we've got people traveling to all the places that spices are grown. And there is a tremendous amount of romance attached to the origins and how things are processed and the, and the really unique flavors that you can generate. So, so we want to make sure that we're bringing that kind of, uh, that kind of appeal to, to consumers. I mean, do you find that with consumers, I mean, that people tend to maybe buy the things they're sort of familiar with and have sort of maybe are gun-shy about stuff that sounds more exotic, and how do you kind of bridge that gap? Well, it's, it's a little bit uh, almost a, a, a bipolar distribution because things like the Food Network and the cooking channels and celebrity chefs have people experimenting more. And so that's actually driving a, a surge. We've, we've seen spice consumption in the U.S. go up substantially over the last several years as, as people get addicted to things like the Food Network. And so that's a, that's a huge benefit for our business, and, and we're making it easy for consumers as, they, uh, as they, uh, they try to find new things. There certainly are consumers that are looking for everyday uh, consistency. 
And so, you know, so, and so we want to make that easy too. So if it's Tuesday, it's taco night. And so we have a taco seasoning mix that, that, is, that is familiar, that, that kids love, that, uh, that, that's really easy. And, and we want to try to do that. In New Orleans, uh, there's one night of the week that's red beans and rice night. And so we produce that product and, and, uh, and sell a lot of that in, in the New Orleans area for, uh, specifically for those kinds of events that people are looking for familiarity. Yeah, I, I hadn't realized until I did some research that you that Zatarans was a McCormick brand. That's right. Yeah, and and uh, and it's a business that uh, that we continue to grow and expand. Mm-hmm. And now, tell me, you were talking a little bit about the people that people from McCormick are traveling all around to source the spices. I mean, tell, talk to me a little bit about that end of the business and what goes into what goes into that. I mean, what happens before any before any of the spices are ending up on the shelves? Well, because we're the largest uh, company in in, our, in the category. We've made an investment in teams of people that go all the way back to the farms and the collectors and the local regions that, that do a couple of things. One, um, we're working with farmers for sustainable agriculture. So, so we're helping them with growing, con- you know, with growing conditions, the right kinds of seeds, and, um, and how they handle product so that we get product that is consistent and uh, and safe, and so we have to do less to treat it when we when we bring it in to make it safe for consumers, and so there's there's a there's a, a part of that, and that's that's what we do. A second part of that their mission is to be in on the ground at different uh, parts of the growing cycle, so that we see what the yields are going to look like, and we can we and we can do some economic planning. Around um, around what the prices are going to be and and the and the and the supply part of the supply demand curve, so that we are anticipating and making decisions on whether we're taking long positions because crops may be short and more expensive, or shorter positions because it's a really abundant crop and we know that prices are going to are going to going to change. So we've got teams in different that 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 travel to all the parts of the world at multiple times during the growing cycle, so we really get an assessment. And then we're sourcing in, in different countries because their harvest cycles at different times. So Vietnam has a different harvest cycle for pepper than Brazil, than India, than Indonesia, and so we're really looking at that to see what the optimum timing and the right yields are for, uh, for all those products. So does that mean at different times of the year, if I'm buying, say, black pepper, it could be coming from a variety of different countries depending on when I buy it? We'll be, we, we will create a blend of different origins, and black pepper is a really good example that match it, that gives you a consistent flavor every time you buy it. Now we do have in our gourmet lines very specific origins. So if you're buying Malabar pepper, it's coming from uh, specifically from one specific region. But uh, but we do uh, certainly blend everything to make it consistent. It's just the way we bring it in and the way the crop cycles come in. So pepper is not necessarily pepper is not pepper is not pepper. That's so correct. if someone would have all Viet, all pepper from Vietnam, all pepper from India, it would taste differently. So thus you blend it together. To create a consistent flavor. Oh, that's interesting. Now how important does, um, I guess, social responsibility come become when you're working with so many different growers and different suppliers and that sort of thing all over the world? Well, it's a big, it's a big part of our heritage. We've, we've always been a very responsible community-based organization. Uh, but it, it also serves our economic interest to make sure that we have sustainable sources of the products that we're buying because we're dealing around the world with hundreds of thousands of individual farmers. And so as we 
as we are able to help in, uh, in creating those, that sustainable agriculture, it helps our business be sustainable, economically sustainable as well as viable. Uh, and so that's a, that's a part of what we do. But as we go in, we found ways of helping so that, uh, so that so the farmers and the collectors really want to deal with us. So we've done things like building schools and medical clinics in places like Indonesia. We, we built a medical clinic, two medical clinics, two years ago. And when there was an earthquake in Indonesia, those survived. And they really became a part of helping the community. But that's just a, a, a part of the fabric of, of what McCormick stands for. In our, uh, in our developed markets, we do things, we have a, a day, a year called Charity Day, where people work and then the company, ma and donate their salaries to, to, to charity, and the company matches those. And so that's a big part of how, what we do with our United Way campaigns in, in, uh, in, in most of our, our developed markets. Now, talk to me a little bit um, to, about what is your biggest challenge as a leader? I mean, what do you enjoy most about your job? But conversely, what keeps you up at night? Sure. Well, well, certainly, I've, I've been CEO. I'm coming into my fourth year. I'm in my fourth year as CEO. And, uh, and we've had a lot of volatility with uh, everything from the financial markets. We've seen two up and down cycles in commodities in that period. Uh, and there's still a lot of uncertainty. We're, we're dealing in, in most developed markets still with pretty high unemployment and a lack of consumer confidence in, an era, in a time when commodity prices, and not just our products, but, but, but oil prices and almost anything that, that people are buying in terms of food are going up. And so there's just an awful lot of, uh, of, of volatility with that. And so I have to make sure that our strategies and our business processes are adaptable to, to pretty rapid changes in the external environment. And, and so we're, we're continually working on how do we, how do we move faster to, to adapt our, our plans to, uh, to what's happened in the external market. As a leader, the most important thing that I, that I do is make sure that we have the right people in place working on the right things. And, uh, and that's where I spend a tremendous amount of my time is, is making sure that we've got good succession, that we've got people that have the skills that they need, that are, uh, that are motivated and rewarded the right way, that, uh, that, are, that are based on building our business. Uh, from the business strategy standpoint, I spend a lot of my time in telling our story with consumers, with customers, and with investors so that, uh, so that we continue to get the kind of support and, and deliver the kind of results that we've delivered. Mm -hmm. And now what's your favorite part of your job? What do you enjoy most? Well, I, I love the, the, the aspects of, of being out and being with teams. And, um, and so I spend a lot of time in our culinary centers. Uh, and tasting the great food that that uh, that, that we're preparing, uh, I'd love walking through our, our and visiting our uh, our plants and facilities around the world, and and uh, and seeing the passion that people bring to their jobs every day, and talking to them about where the company is going, and, and so that's a that's a that's a great part of it. I get to experience, I get to go some really cool places, and uh, and and eat some great meals, and uh, and that's a that's a that's a great part of the job. I see. That sounds pretty good to me. <laughs> and now tell me, I know I had read that so at one point the company was based in Baltimore and then you'd moved since to the suburbs. And at one point you had done a campaign telling people that if they had spices with Baltimore, Maryland on the back, that those were 15 years old and they needed to kind of throw them out. And now they're 20 years old. And now they're 20 years old. <laughs> so tell me, I, I guess, talk to me a little bit about sort of, I guess there's sort of a consumer education component. I mean, did you get stories from people that had had a bottle of basil for 20 years? 
Oh, absolutely. As the part of that campaign was based on the fact that people don't really manage their pantries. And when they, they have spices, it's something that a lot of consumers perceive lasts forever. And while they'll still be safe, you lose the flavor aspects of it. And so the reason you're putting, you know, things like sage in your, in your, your turkey or your turkey gravy is to get that flavor impact. And so that campaign was just an education campaign recognizing that people tend not to replenish things in their pantry very often. And, you know, when I talk to, to consumers and I'll ask them, you know, what would you serve your family that's five years old? What, what food product? And the answer is nothing, but they'll keep spices for a long time because they tend to have, uh, some of them especially, have lower use-up rates. And, and so you have to keep thinking about it. I mean, I, have the, I had the, the same example before I came to McCormick. I'd gotten a spice rack as a wedding present. And uh, I'd been married about 12 years when, when I came to the company. And, and uh, when I joined the company, I got a new spice rack. And I started looking and, and realizing that I'd had a lot of this, uh, this stuff for, uh, for 12 years. And so it is an education campaign for consumers to, to, to keep replenishing and, re and refining. And so the obvious question is, how long do spices last? And, and the answer is, it depends on how you store them. But whole spices, until they're ground, have a, a very long shelf life, several years. But once they're ground and if, if they're in light, you need to replace them every, every 12 to 18 months. I think I need to go home and look at my spice <laughs> rack. <laughs> um, and finally, I guess I understand that you are kind of a foodie. So tell me about what is your favorite thing to cook and what is your favorite thing to eat? Oh, I'm, 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 a, I'm a grilling master. Um, and uh, and, I, and I love our, our, our Grillmates products, and so I, I, I do those a lot, and I, and I grill um, year-round. So, you know, I kind of create a little path between my, uh, my back door and my grill so I can grill even, you know, when there's, there's a lot of snow in the ground. So I, I do that, uh, and, I, and I, I love to do that, everything from salmon or, uh, or other fish to, uh, to, to, to steaks and uh, and, uh, and, and venison and, you know, the, the kinds of things that, uh, that really go great on the grill. My favorite thing probably to eat is, uh, is fish. I, I, I eat a, a, a lot of uh, different kinds of fish as, as I travel around and, and, uh, and, and generally whatever is fresh. Uh, and there's lots of ways to do that, whether it's, it's core spices or some marinades that, uh, that, that create the flavors. So, so I, I tend to, uh, when, I'm, when I'm out, uh, I tend to I tend to order a lot of fish. Great. And then whenever you're at the grocery store, are you ever tempted to kind of give people advice as they're in the spice aisle? I do. I feel like I might. <laughs> I absolutely do. And uh, and I do wherever I go, I go to stores. And uh, and sometimes you'll see consumers standing in front and 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 looking for something specific, and I'll you know help them find it. Uh, but uh, but I have. Uh, and I'm, I'm not ashamed at all as I'll say, try this. You know, I see you, you, know, I see you, you, you have some fresh melon. Try this chili and lime on, uh, on melon. It's really good. And uh, so I'll, I'll, do some, I'll do some things like that. Do you tell them that you're the CEO and what is their reaction? Usually not consumers. Um, uh, but, I, but I do sometimes go and talk to the, uh, the, the, grocery man, the, the grocery clerk who's managing the spice set. Because I want to find out what's working well, what's not working well, and and uh, and they're they're very uh, very aggressive at telling me whether we're getting good service or not, and uh, what's what's moving, what's not. So I, I find a lot out just by walking around talking to people. Great. Well, thank you so much for talking to us today. You were great. Great. Thank you. It's Thanks. great. Great to be here. For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton. 
please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.